I was just thinking as we were, um, we were in that time of worship, like, what are we actually here to do today? Um, when, you, when you think about church and why we actually rock up and what we do every Sunday morning, what are we, what are we here to do today? And we sang in that song, but we were also you know, praying about it before the meeting, is that we're here to encounter Jesus. So we're not here to, to, to necessarily hear some, some good stuff that arguably I may or may not preach today. We're not here for fellowship. We're not here to catch up with people. All of those things will naturally happen anyway. But we're actually here to encounter Jesus, and we're here to have our lives changed by what He has to say. So that's my that's my prayer for for, for this morning, um, because it's it's a privilege to preach, but it's also you know a time for for us to hear from God, not from me. So let's just pray. Um, dear Lord, we just thank you that that you are such a good God, Lord, that you love us, Lord, that you have such great plans for our lives, Lord, and that we just have the the opportunity to gather today, Lord, just to to, to spend time in your presence, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, um, for this opportunity, Lord. We thank you for these people, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you soften, prepare all of our hearts right now, Lord, to receive your message, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that anything of me will fall to the ground, Lord, but your word will be lifted up, Lord, and that your word will just change the lives of your people today, Lord. So come and have your way in this place this morning, Lord. Just name and pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so a couple of questions to start off the, the day for you guys. So who here went to Sunday school as a kid? So let's see a show of hands. So arguably a little bit more than, than half. And if you went to Sunday school as a kid like I did, and if you grew up as a Christian like I did, going to church meant that you spent a lot of time in Sunday school. And often, as the kids have left now, Sunday school was the, the, the thing that you looked forward to the most um, most at church. So yes, you would, you'd do things at church and you'd sing songs and, and worship, but you look forward to Sunday school. And, and sometimes you look forward to after church was done too, so then you could play footy or cricket as well. But um, Sunday school was one of those pivotal things and it's and it's one of those things that's established my faith um, throughout the years and the thing that I remember most about Sunday school isn't necessarily the friends I made and some they're actually not here today but there's some friends in the church that I made at Sunday school and we're still and we're still friends to this day but the thing that I remember most about Sunday school is learning about the heroes of the faith learning about the different stories of key people in the Bible. So the exploits of, of, of David versus Goliath, the faith, of, the faith of Joseph, the courage of Daniel, and obviously the love of Jesus. And we learn a lot about the themes of Christianity and, and love and peace and joy and all these things. But the thing that I remember most is learning about those people. And we did it back in the day using the felt board. So I'm sure some of you guys have used the felt board. Some of the younger people are wondering what, what the heck a felt board is. But um, our multimedia presentation was a, you know, a teacher getting the felt board out. And I think Joseph was the same person as, as, as a lot of the different characters. They all look the same. But that's how we learned. And, and that, those stories have resonated with me over the years. So with this in mind, um, I wanted to start a new series um, that I'll be going through in the coming months. And that's talking through some of these heroes of the faith. And I, I want to focus on these, uh, the lives of some of these influential people. And, and I've titled this series Lessons from the Life Of. And it's Lessons from the Life Of dot, dot, dot. So there's going to be quite a few different people that we'll go through in, in the coming months. Uh, but today we're going to look at the life of Joshua. Um, Joshua's always been one of my heroes growing up. I just think that 
He's a cool dude. He lived a really cool life and, and he was able to achieve uh, a lot of amazing things. Um, so we'll go through the, the life of Joshua. And the, the key areas that I want to focus on today is who was Joshua? What did he do? Uh, his key attributes, what we can learn from him and how do we apply it to our lives? So that's what we're going to look at. So who was Joshua? What did he do? His key attributes, what can we learn from him? And then how do we apply it in our lives? That's the most important thing, right? We want to know what it means for us. So firstly, who was Joshua? So Joshua was a key figure in the Old Testament. So it happened around the time of Exodus, as, as most of you should be aware of. Um, he was from the tribe of Ephraim, and he was the son of Nun. Now, there's obviously the obvious joke to make here, and if Russ was preaching, that joke would be made here. Um, but his, his dad's name was Nun, N-U-N, so he wasn't the son of nobody. Uh, I kind of ended up making the joke, right? So he was born a slave in Egypt and then became the personal assistant of Moses, then a military commander and then finally he became the leader of Israel. So that's his life quickly and we'll go through that in a little bit more detail. We first hear of Joshua in in a bit of detail in Exodus 17. So if you want to turn with me to Exodus 17, I'm going to read a a passage from there. So from Exodus 17 verse 8 to 13. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Ur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites held the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Ur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of, the, of Amalek in battle. So I'm sure most of you know that story of, of, uh, of Aaron and Ur holding up Moses' hands so the Israelites could have victory in that battle. Um, but Joshua was the one that was leading the, the, the army in that battle. Obviously, he had God on his side, and as, soon, as long as the arms were up, they were victorious. But Joshua led that battle. So this is the first mention of, of, of Joshua in great detail, and we can see that he was clearly chosen by Moses for this task. So something obviously stood out about Joshua that would lead Moses to assign him for this task. So around the time of this battle, maybe slightly after, Joshua also becomes Moses' assistant. So Moses identifies him, he's a good guy, he's going to be the leader of my army, but that's not all, I'm going to take him as my personal assistant. And when you sometimes we think of, of, of PAs in, in the world, and we, some, you know, there's a lot of businessmen have got personal assistants, but I view Joshua as more of being an executive assistant. So not just an assistant, but someone who had authority as well. So Moses was like, Joshua was like the executive assistant to, to, to Moses. The next mention of Joshua, if someone keep that baby quiet, oh, that's my baby, that's a bit awkward. Um, we next hear of Joshua in Numbers 13 and 14, where he was appointed one of the 12 spies that were tasked with reporting on the promised land. So the Israelites have, have left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they got pretty close to the promised land straight up. No mucking around straight there. They were using whatever Google Maps they had at the time. Uh, But then things kind of took a little bit of a deviation, as most of you guys will be aware. So Numbers 13, uh, 25 to 29. 
Numbers 13, 25 to 29. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent to us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, so as advertised. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people there are living living there are powerful. Obviously, when we hear the but, something's going to change this. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. So the report that the 10 spies provided was very negative. But Joshua and Caleb, they had a very different perspective on the same land that they explored. So we can read that from Numbers 14. So the next chapter, Numbers 14, 5 to 8. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. They were obviously dismayed. God sent them to this land flowing with milk and honey. They've sent the spies there, but the report's negative. So they're they're dismayed. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. So Joshua and Caleb understood what they were called to do, what Israel was called to, the promised land. And they were rewarded because of their faithfulness. The rest of the men, because of their disobedience, an entire generation of men were not allowed to enter into the promised land. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. So Joshua and Caleb, they got it. The other guys didn't. So next, Joshua continues to serve Moses in the wilderness. So it wasn't a small apprenticeship. It was 40 years in the wilderness. So, And upon Moses' death, Joshua eventually succeeds him as leader. He leads them then into the promised land, into the different battles, and then obviously the conquest of the land. He then apportions the land to the different tribes, and he leads the Israelites until his death. So that's a quick snapshot of the life of Joshua. Started out as a slave, moved to arguably some sort of militia army commander, assistant to, to, to Moses for over 40 years, eventually the leader of the Israelites. And that's what he did in his life. So lived a pretty cool life, a faithful servant, yet a mighty warrior and leader. So let's now look at some of these key attributes that Joshua displayed throughout his life that actually made him so important, so noteworthy. So I'm going to go through some of the key attributes that I feel that we can learn from Joshua. So firstly, the first attribute that I feel that we can learn from Joshua is that he was a servant. So not that he was a warrior or a leader or anything else, but he was a servant. Joshua was a man of humility. Before he was a leader, he was willing to serve. And for 40 years, he served Moses in the wilderness. 40 years. Who's under... uh, It's a bad question to ask, and I ask it anyway. Who's under 40? Put your hand up if you're under 40. God's always watching, right? So for your entire life, and and more than your entire life for, for a lot of you, 
Garth, that, I think you're drawing a very long bow there. But for 40 years he served in the wilderness. It's not a short apprenticeship by any means. And we, we think about it, 40 years to succeed someone. So Prince Charles, right? He's actually the, the longest in-waiting monarch that there's ever been in the history of the royal family. He's, he's 70 years old, 70 years old. He's getting, he's getting long in the tooth, right? And he hasn't been serving the queen for 40 years. He's been living the life of luxury for his 70 years, right? And most people, when you're the next in line, you live a life of luxury, not a life of servitude. But Joshua lived a life of servitude for 40 years, faithfully serving his leader in the wilderness. So, you know, it's the desert, right? I'm sure they found an oasis here or there, but it's the the desert. So it's not easy, right? And Joshua did that for 40 years. So Joshua was known as Moses' assistant, even known as his servant. And if Joshua even had the slightest of inklings that he was the next in line, that he was to succeed Moses, it'd be perfectly understandable and reasonable for him to get a little bit frustrated. It's like, how long are we going to wander around in the wilderness? 40 years. When's it, when's it my turn? I've got ideas. I think, you know, I've been to the promised land. I know where it is. I think we can get there a little bit quicker. And maybe, and maybe he'd said some of this, but there's no mention of that in the Bible. All we know is that he faithfully served for 40 years. Um, great leaders are people who have no problem with serving others. And too often, people just want to lead, but they have no idea how to serve and how to follow. So if you want to be a leader, the hot tip is to serve and, and be able to follow people. And once you learn how to follow people in humility, then maybe you'll learn how to lead as well. And by being faithful and serving and remaining humble, God ends up magnifying Joshua to the people. So he didn't magnify himself. God did that for him. So we can read this. You can just take this down. Two two scriptures. Joshua 3, verse 7. The Lord told Joshua, Joshua 3, verse 7. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. That's one. Another one, Joshua, 14, Joshua 4, verse 14. Joshua 4, verse 14. That day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. Now, Moses is the hero of the faith. Jews still hold Moses as their hero of their faith. But the people revered Joshua just as much as they revered Moses. That's the blessing that God bestowed upon him because he was faithful and served in humility and remained humble. Okay, so the next thing that we can learn, the next attribute that we can learn from Joshua, he was a man of prayer. So he was a man of prayer. And there there are plenty of examples of of Joshua praying in the Bible. Um, But the one that I want to talk from is from Joshua 10 because this happened in the middle of warfare. So it's all well and good to to talk about praying when things are going well and maybe blessing God and thanking God. But this prayer was in the middle of war. So it's from Joshua 10. I'm going to read verse 7 and 8, and then I'm going to skip ahead to verse 12 and 13. So from Joshua 10, 7 and 8, first up. So Joshua and his entire army, including the best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for the Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. 
So that's 7 and 8. And then from verse 12, we can see what happened. On that day, the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites. Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. So one thing that obviously we can see that he prayed initially because because God was answering him. That's from verse 7 and 8. But the other cool thing is from verse 12 is that Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people. And he didn't pray, Lord, give us victory, be with us today, let your will be done. He prayed for a miracle. He put himself out there. He said, Lord, let, let, the, sun and, um, let, the, sun stay, uh, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So he prayed for a miraculous thing to occur in front of the people. So not only was he a man of prayer, but he was faithful because he knew that God was true to his word. And, you know, it's a risk as a leader to, to pray something like that because if it doesn't happen, what are the people going to say? Oh, he's not as good as Moses. You know, Moses got water out of a rock and, and, and Joshua prays and nothing happens, right? So he's putting himself out there. But he knew where his source was. So trusting not in his own strength, Joshua looks to the Lord for help. He'd already proven himself to be a capable military leader and no doubt if he wanted to, they could have devised a plan to, to take on the Amorites. But he sought the Lord for help and the Lord came through with a miraculous victory. And it's not the only miraculous victory that we know of. We'll talk about another one in a second. Joshua understood the source of his victories and he knew that they were powered by prayer. So he didn't get ahead of himself. He realized where the source lay. Okay, the next attribute, the next attribute that we can look at Joshua was that Joshua was faithful. So Joshua was faithful. The Lord gave Joshua a charge before he took over from Moses. And to ensure success, he had to fulfill all the requirements of the law given by Moses. Joshua's success was directly related to his adherence to the word of God. So the Lord gave Joshua a charge, and to ensure success, he had to follow it letter by letter. So let's have a look at some of this charge. So it's from Joshua chapter 1. So the Lord's charge to Joshua. So Joshua chapter 1. After the death of of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. Skip ahead to verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Read that again. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. continually. Mediate on it. Meditate on it even. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what did he say? He said, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. Don't turn either to the left or to the right. Don't deviate from the instructions that I've given you. And this is an amazing 
charge, but it's an amazing promise that God has promised to Joshua as well, that he will be with him wherever he goes. And we can see from the life of Joshua that Joshua did remain faithful to the law and he carried out everything that Moses had called him to do and that the Lord had obviously called him to do as well. So we can see this from Joshua 11 verse 15. Joshua 11 verse 15. As the Lord had commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua. And Joshua did as he was told, carefully obeying all the commands that the Lord had given to Moses. So Joshua was a very faithful man. His faithfulness is also demonstrated by the fall of Jericho. So obviously the Israelites enter into the promised land. The Lord stops the Jordan River so the the Israelites can cross on dry ground. The same miracle that he did on the Red Sea. So drawing comparison so that people people could see that the Lord was was with Joshua just as he was with Moses. They get to Jericho. Remember, Joshua is a very capable leader. So he's probably got some designs, some ideas, some plans on what to do to take this city. Probably had some powerful, mighty warriors. If we do this, if we do that, we can take this city. I've got a plan. God had different ideas. He said, march around the city with the priests. Once for six days on the seventh day, do it seven times, and the city's going to fall. Pretty, pretty... Strange plan, right? Now, if you're Joshua, you're thinking, are you sure? Is that definitely the plan? Like, is that plan B? Maybe we'll try my way first and then we'll march around the city? No, he said, march around the city. So let's picture this. Let's think about how we can draw it and bring it to ourselves a little bit. Picture yourself, 2002, Salt Lake City, Winter Olympic Games. Stephen Bradbury, right? He's, he's, in the, he's in the quarterfinals. Actually, he wins his heat. He won his first heat. So well done to Stephen Bradbury. Gets into the quarterfinals. The top two go through. The gold medal favourite and the world champion are in his heat. He finishes third. All right. You did your best. Quarterfinals of the Olympics, nothing to sneeze at. Turns out the person who finished second did something wrong. So he's disqualified. Great. Guess what? Stephen Bradbury's into the semifinals of the 1,000-metre short track speed skating at the Winter Olympics. Great result, right? So what does he do in the semifinal? Well, he's kind of under gun, so he just cruises around, hoping for the best. Turns out a couple of people, about three, three people in front of him fall over. So he gets into the final. So he's done a Bradbury here. We know why, why it's called doing a Bradbury. He gets to the final, talks to his coach. Coach was a, a lady by the name of Anne Zhang. And the coach says, okay, well, what should we do? Because he's not quick enough to win on his own accord. So the coach says, well, what I need you to do is just to follow them around. Stay back a little bit. Don't go too close. And maybe they'll fall over and you can sneak a medal. (laughs) So the if I was Steve, I'd be like, are you sure? Is that the only thing I can? Maybe I should see if I can start from the front and try to stay in, in, in position so no one can take. No, the plan is just to follow and hope for the best. And guess what? I'm sure some of you have seen it. Most of you have seen it. Everyone fell over. Literally everyone fell over. He was dead last. But he won. So sometimes the plans don't make sense to us, but it's all about the source of the plans. Now, if, if, if Joe Blow said to him in the sense, hey, Steve, what I need you to do is just follow and hope for the best, Stephen would have said, well, actually, I don't actually know who you are. 
but he understood the source coming from his coach, and we listened. The other example I thought of this morning as I was driving in, Tracy always complains that I think of sporting examples only, but I am who I am, Um, the rumble in the jungle. So, George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali. George Foreman, the undefeated champion of the world, facing an ageing Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali is talking to his trainer. What should we do? How are we going to get this guy? So his trainer says, well, what I need you to do is just uh, let, him, let him hit you. So, sorry, sorry, what? What do you want me to do? Just let him hit you. Rope a dope. Just let him hit you. He'll tire himself out eventually. He says, are you sure? He goes, yeah, just let him hit you. He'll get tired. Eight rounds it took, but he got tired. And, and, and Ali knocked out Foreman. So sometimes the plans don't make sense to us. But if we're faithful to the source of the plans... God will come through. Obviously, it's different with with Muhammad Ali and Stephen Bradbury, but God is always true to his promises. So we need to listen to those plans. Even when people will tell us, hey, do this rather than doing that, God is always faithful to his plans. And Joshua did have options, right? But he fully trusted in that plan. All right, next, next attribute that we can look at, Joshua had vision. So as we read earlier, the Israelites were on the edge of the promised land really early. Numbers 13, they got there. And God, Moses commanded the 12 spies to go out and provide a report on the promised land. As we heard earlier, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who provided a positive report. And they urged the people to take the land. So we see the one thing, well, one of the things that sets Joshua and Caleb apart from the rest of the Israelites is they believed in the promises of God and they also believed in the vision he had for his people. He had called them to the promised land and Joshua and Caleb understood that. They were not intimidated by the size of the warriors or the strength of the cities. Rather, they knew their God and remembered how he had dealt with Egypt, which was the strongest nation at the time, right? If God could take care of the mighty Egyptian army, he could deal with the Canaanite tribes. God rewarded Joshua and Caleb for their faithfulness. And obviously we heard about the disobedience that, was, that meant the entire generation perished in the wilderness. Joshua understood the promise that God had made to Abraham and he had the vision and faith to see this through. So Joshua was a man of vision. All right, next. Joshua was someone who longed to spend time in the presence of God. So Joshua was someone who longed to spend time in the presence of God. This is, this is one of the ones that has always resonated with me. So Joshua understood the importance of intimacy with God. So all of these other things that are going on, but at the end of the day, if there's one thing that I would hang my hat on if I was Joshua, is that he longed to spend time in the presence of God. So we read this from Exodus 33, verse 11. Exodus 33, verse 11. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So Joshua remained behind where the presence of God was. And that's an amazing picture for us. Joshua did not depart from the dwelling place of God's glory. Joshua stayed in the tent because he loved God's presence. And we can see in our lives that devotion to to prayer and intimacy with God is the only setting in which we can completely step into the fullness of what God has called us to. 
So if we want to step into the full purposes of what God has called us to do, it's simple. Intimacy with God and spending time in his presence. There's no magic formula. It's just that spending time in the presence of God. The next attribute I want to look at, and the last attribute, is that Joshua was a leader. So we've already looked at it a little bit, but we know that Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. And against overwhelming odds, he led the Israelite army into the conquest of the land. He apportioned the land to the tribes and governed for a time. Even at the end of of his life, he encouraged the nation to heed God's word. So he just didn't care about the people during his lifetime. He cared about what followed. So Joshua urged the people to forsake their idols and remain faithful to the covenant that God had made with them at Sinai. He said in Joshua 24 from 14 and 15, Joshua 24, 14 and 15, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. This is what I want you to do. But at the end of the day, me and my family, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is arguably the most famous scripture that Joshua is known for. And it's adorned many a bumper sticker and a mug over the years. And it's a great sentiment. Joshua is sold out for God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's imploring the people to follow God and stay true to him. But even if they don't, he and his family will remain faithful. The key thing here is that it shouldn't just be a nice sentiment. It should be something that inspires to live sold out for Jesus as well. So we, didn't, we shouldn't think, hey, this, that's a great idea. Joshua had a great way with words, but it should inspire us to be sold out for Jesus. We will often face difficulties in our lives, but if our faith is secured securely in him, he'll help us to deal with those bumps along the way. A compass is useless unless it points to true north. And our compass must always point to Jesus. And if it does, we'll be able to deal with everything that comes along the way. All right, so to conclude, I wanted to look at what we can now learn from Joshua and how do we apply that into our lives. So we've looked at these key attributes. I want to finish by looking at how we apply some of that stuff into our lives. Firstly, we need to learn to trust in the Lord in all things, no matter how big or small or no matter the circumstance. So Joshua trusted in the Lord when he was an assistant, when he was a militia leader, when he was the commander of the army, when he became the leader. So no matter his circumstance, he learned to trust in the Lord. Even as a spy, he trusted in the Lord. So none of us literally have to go into a physical battle. I don't think there's anyone in the army here. No? But we face a spiritual battle every day. And our battle is against an enemy who's trying to destroy us. So we need to realize that no, we don't. we're not going to be going out and facing a physical battle, but we do face a constant spiritual battle. And like Joshua, we need to learn to trust in the Lord in all of these things. Nextly, seek godly counsel. So the next thing that we can learn from Joshua and apply to our lives is to seek godly counsel. So Joshua obviously spent a lot of time with Moses over the years, 40 years, right? So a lot of time, and I'm no doubt he would have asked him a lot of questions. 
why do you do this? Why do you do that? What do you think about that? He would have got a lot of advice, got a lot of godly counsel. So we too should seek to spend time with godly, wise people and seek their counsel. Now we can see how significant the Lord's charge was to Joshua, that he was going to be with him. And we can see how the impact that this godly counsel and wisdom has had in the life of Joshua. So, you know, the, the thing is that most of us don't hear the audible voice of God. And we, all, we always want to seek God about things. And we always want to know, well, what are you saying? What are you doing? And God normally speaks to us in, in, in two ways. Normally through the word. So when we read the word, he will speak to us and he'll, and he'll draw things out that otherwise we might not see because it's his Holy Spirit telling us things. But the other way that God speak to us, speaks to us is through people, to godly, wise people. The key thing for you, though, is, and for all of us, is don't, sit, don't rest on your laurel, sitting on your hands, waiting for that godly person to, to have a vision about your life praying that Anthony will have a vision about my life and he will tell me which, 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 you know, which way I should go. Seek it out. Talk to people. Spend time with godly people. Seek that godly counsel because people, most people aren't going to volunteer information until you give them that opportunity to do it. So seek out that godly counsel. Next, spend time in God's presence. Joshua longed to spend time in God's presence we should look to do the same. But we need to be diligent and disciplined. Two words that we don't necessarily like, diligent and disciplined, but we need to be diligent and disciplined to find a time to do this. It's not going to happen automatically. This will also help to ensure that you don't get swayed by the masses. So if you do face a battle and God tells you to do something differently, you're not going to get swayed by the peer pressure that says, hey, do it this way, because you understand and you've spent the time in God's presence. Next, be a faithful servant. Serve and follow. Good leaders need to serve and follow. You need to be able to follow before you can lead. So that's what we can learn from Joshua. And the last one that I wanted to talk about is that Jesus is the only way. So this last point's a little bit interesting because we've just looked at the Old Testament today. Um, But we can see from Joshua's life that All of it points to the one who is to come. And Joshua's life points to Jesus. And as I go through this series, I'll show you how the Old Testament points to the one who is to come, Jesus. So it's interesting to note that Joshua's original name was Hosea. And Moses changed his name to Joshua, which means, uh, which is Yeshua in Hebrew, but it means the Lord is salvation. So this name selection of Joshua is the first indication that Joshua is a type, is a picture of, of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Moses gave him the, re, the name for a reason, and it's, and it's signifying what is to come. What Moses, who represented the law, was unable to do, Joshua achieved when he successfully led the people of God out of the desert to conquer their enemies and enter the promised land. His accomplishments point to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the defeat of Satan and the opening of the way into the promised land of God for eternity. So what the law was unable to do through Moses, Joshua was able to fulfill. And what we are unable to do through the law today, Jesus is able to fulfill. And it's only through him. Joshua's life points to Jesus. We can see this in Hebrews. So if you turn with me to Hebrews 4, 8 to 10, I want to finish with this. 
we can see this um, this theme coming through. So Hebrews 4, 8 to 10. Now, if Joshua had, succeed, had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. This passage clearly shows us that Jesus is a better Joshua. Joshua led the Israelites into the rest of Canaan, but Jesus leads the people of God into God's rest. Jesus will lead people to true rest as true rest is only found in him. No matter where you go or where you look, salvation is only through the completed work of Jesus on the cross. So today, if you're looking for for rest, hope, peace, healing, purpose, belonging, whatever you're looking for, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, is the only way to find any of that. He's the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. And he has a plan and purpose for all of us. And we can learn from Joshua's life that if we are faithful, that we can find true rest in Jesus. That's it.